Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. Yes, I'm fine, thanks. You? Oh. Ah. Uh, right. Sorry, I asked. You tried one of those creams? Right, it's business time. This is Bugle issue 4131. I am Andy Zaltzman, Lord of All I Survey, which is my laptop, mostly with cricket stats on it. <laughs> I'm here, obviously. That, that could have gone without saying, but as I saw from the case, it didn't. Specifically in London, where I'm joined, firstly, by Nish Kumar. Welcome back, Nish. Hello, Andrew. Hello, Buglers. Hi. How are you? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm okay. I what's mean, wrong? What's wrong, Zoltz? Well, there's a real sense of ennui around you today. Your hair is even slightly flatter than usual. Really? <laughs> I've been. I think that's because I pulled my hat down particularly hard because it was quite cold on the way in. Right, right. Uh, it's it. Well, I mean, we we still got almost four weeks <laughs> of the election campaign. <laughs> you can't, Andy. You can't be this haggard. Well, I was. I was pretty much broken on day one, and <laughs> I've not got any less irritated ever since how are you dealing with it you, you, you're like a marathon runner who's called for a foil blanket at mile one yes it's, yeah it's we got I, I feel okay about it right i think um my expectations are so low that um you know if any of them stand up and speak in complete sentences i'm now like yes we're getting there right i i I've, i i still feel i've got i've got stomach for the fight i'm okay. ready that's good to hear. <laughs> um, I don't think I've ever seen you this sad. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen you this sad whilst England are playing a test series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, luckily, it's, they're not currently playing as we record, so I'm fully focused and dialled in. Joining us from the other side of the Atlantic, it's a Bugle debut. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome, for the first time on this show, the wonderful Jenna Friedman. Hello, Jenna. Hello. <laughs> just... <laughs> Hello, guys. How's it going? <laughs> Jeez. Andy, you didn't tell me we were bugling with Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a horrible Hi, euphemism. It's really right? nice to be here. <laughs> or to in spirit. Yes. So I'm really glad that your summer of doing shows at the Edinburgh Fridge has paid off with a <laughs> flawless accent, Jenna. Absolutely flawless. <laughs> The only thing I know how to say from is like it's like it's not my fault. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> my British accent. Well, I bet I could get you a very long way in this country. Yeah, I mean that's been our country's motto. <laughs> that's, that's very much our attitude to our own history, Jenna. Well, you've, I mean, you've absolutely nailed it. I mean, I'll, I'll na- it's not my fault. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Our, our national mot- motto is Dieu et mon droit, which is, is in. <laughs> Is in French and basically saying well, it's God's fault, not our fault. <laughs> uh, so, Jenny, you are in uh, you are in LA. How is uh, yeah. how is uh, <laughs> the yeah, home of show business? <laughs> the home of showbiz is wherever this bugle is. Uh, this podcast <laughs> being recorded, as you well know. How's uh, how's Los Angeles these days? It's cool. I mean, we had a couple fires. Uh, they're <laughs> gone now, which is cool. They'll be back like tomorrow, but today, you know, you can run outside if you want. It's super chill. Right. <laughs> That's good, yeah. good, good to hear. As always, a uh, section of the Bugle is going straight in the bin this week. An art section. Um, and we review... Uh, well, it's a very exciting development in the art world. Uh, deep fakes have, um, not just existing in terms of uh, fake videos, 
but now creating entire new pieces of artwork by great masters from the art past. Uh, deep fakes uh, in a new exhibition include uh, Edouard Manet's idiot primping himself before a night out on the lash, the haunting evocation of the hollowness of uh, modern 21st century vanity. Uh, a new Rembrandt, uh, the uh, 17th century Dutch no-makeup selfie pioneer and hidden easel bathroom snoop-hound voyeur perv, uh, as I believe he's officially known. Um, uh, he's uh, well, a new series of uh, self-portraits, more pouty and smiley than his earlier stuff for a 21st century audience. <laughs> Peter Paul Rubens' sensuously flesh-filled new piece entitled Hands Off Zeus, brackets, those days are over. And uh, Giotto's controversial new crucifixion fresco depicting Jesus looking a bit bored after 20 years on death row talking to a lawyer about trying to launch a new podcast. <laughs> and, uh, of course, uh, not forgetting uh, 1600s Italian Baroque art star Artemisia Gentileschi's Salome recoils in horror after checking her social media. Uh, we are recording on the uh, 22nd of November um, on this day. In 1574, the Spanish navigator Juan Fernandez discovered islands off Chile called the Juan Fernandez Islands. Imagine the look on his face. (laughs) (laughs) All that way. Um, On uh, this day in 1963, John F. Kennedy was assassinated and the Beatles released their second studio album. So someone didn't want to get overshadowed. (laughs) really feels like you're connecting the two there, Andy. Well, Are you alleging that with the Beatles is somehow responsible for the death of JFK? Look, I'm, we can't rule it out, can we? <laughs> I mean, have you heard a better explanation? Well, I mean, I, don't, I honestly don't think I have. I did, I did see the... I saw The Irishman this week, which right. is sort of three and a half hours of... Uh, white men suffering which is obviously my ideal afternoon yeah um but there was a sort of real uh there is a real spicy theory about the kennedy assassination that comes up in that film uh but unfortunately my view of it was marred by a man who went to the toilet uh and then returned with a full glass of wine (laughs) really not learning the lessons of his own bladder right yeah it's just it's comforting that you guys are both saying that he's dead because where I come there's a whole movement in our country on the rise, uh, QAnon, that um, thinks he's still alive. So thanks for setting right. the record straight. I mean, that is American wishful thinking taken to its logical extreme, isn't it? They're an active uh, political segment of the population. They might be a party soon. So JFK's not dead, and he's just announced he's running as Democratic candidate. The hologram of JFK. I hope so. He would be so much safer for our country. Well, he would be. He'd be 102 now. So, so a couple of years short of Biden. <laughs> Boom! There we go. Yeah, and try pressing the nuclear codes when you don't have a finger. <laughs> Um, uh, 25th of November, Monday, is Blase Day, apparently. Oh, is it really? Yeah, it's World Blase Day. Where the f*** have you found that <laughs> out from? It's uh, like a Days of the Year website. Uh, apparently it's uh, well, I mean, it's a day where you've got to be blase about stuff. There's not much detail about it online, which seems entirely appropriate. <laughs> so uh, on Monday, please remember everyone to sit back, hook your smartphone up to the internet, bang in your Bluetooth headphones, watch the President of the USA behaving like a laboratory toddler that's had a few too many experiments done on it, and order a box of pickled eels to be delivered within, th- within 30 minutes to your house and think, yeah, it's not all that, is it? Um, <laughs> Uh, on the 25th of November 1947, the Hollywood Ten were blacklisted as part of the Red Scare. Wow. 
And um, it makes me think, if McCarthyist communist witch hunts were happening today, which celebrities would be suspected of dangerously leftist leanings? Um, well, I mean, this podcast wouldn't be happening, for one thing. <laughs> um, well, I've, uh, well, actually, this is essentially another section in the bin, but I've examined the red credentials of Justin Bieber. Um, <laughs> I mean, his first name is basically Joseph Stalin, with some bits missed out and spelt wrong in the modern way. Uh, Selena Gomez, whose most recent album had no songs entitled I Hate Brezhnev and Everything He Stood For. And uh, Robin Thicke, uh, who copied an wow. idea and did it worse, which is classic communist behaviour. So, you know... <laughs> No smoke without fire. How do you know who Selena Gomez is? I've got the internet. <laughs> Search engine. What's your favourite uh, thing about Selena Gomez? <laughs> um, oh. What's your, what's your favourite song uh, about Selena Gomez? <laughs> oh, uh, it, um, uh, well, uh, Ra Ra Rasputin. Was that <laughs> <laughs> That's a great one, actually. <laughs> It's like oh a part of your injury, like part of your head sustained an injury, and your popular culture and popular music capacity ended in about 1987. Actually, I think it probably ended the moment I was born. Probably 90 percent of the music that I own was made by people who probably died before I entered the world. And Boney M. And and Boney M. Yeah, of course. God rest their still alive souls. <laughs> Top story this week, a huge breakthrough for humanity. Uh, doctors have managed to put humans into a state of suspended animation in a groundbreaking trial. Wait, Sus- really quickly, yeah. as and how, what's the difference between suspended animation and just being British? <laughs> well, I mean, this is a very complex philosophical question. That is a segment. big first question to come in on your Bugle debut, Jenna. <laughs> Well, um. <laughs> in this case, you uh, it's your brain that's frozen, whereas obviously, in order to be British, it's your heart that has to be frozen. <laughs> your heart, economy and s- sense of moral rectitude. <laughs> Looking at the state of the world... Yeah. W- would you... T- if you were offered right now <laughs> 30 years of suspended animation, <laughs> would, you, would you take it and hope to work, wake up in a better world or... Would you say, no, I think it's going to get even worse? I mean, to be honest, this whole news story is slightly blowing a hole in my whole sense of self because I had assumed that the entire world is just a dream I was having while I, when I was put in suspended animation in about 2016, sort of January right. 2016. <laughs> and uh, my current theory is that I ate a metric f- tonne of cheese before I fell asleep. Uh, now, for Jenna's benefit, that is a 2,204 f- pounds. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Thank I don't you. want Americans to be left out of the uh, units of measurement. <laughs> yeah, still clinging on to that bit of empire. <laughs> can't let it all go, can you? Oh, I can't be pick and choose, Friedman. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I imagine that you know, a lot of people in Los Angeles would have seen this story and thought, you know, I can live forever now. <laughs> yeah, we definitely read. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean would you like you know to suspended animation now to wake up you know on the morning of the election next year or to be on the safe side in january 2025 or 2029 would i rather wake up then yes no i think we're i think we're like we're getting like the last gasp of like actual air that's right. breathable yeah. and i'm into it like okay. just you know <laughs> 
Seize the day. It's only going to get worse. Yeah, you don't want to. You don't want to come out of suspended animation into a post climate change induced Mad Max apocalypse. Like you don't want to wake up into that. You want to ease your or just like New Delhi right now. You know they have like oxygen <laughs> bars where they can't breathe except for in a bar. Like, can you imagine? Like you just have to go to a bar and be social just to breathe. <laughs> Well, let's look more at the, the state of uh, of America <laughs> as a nation. Like so many epic series, uh, the story of the USA started out in a really intriguing manner, but has cheapened itself with ridiculously outlandish plot lines and overdrawn characters, and has become largely self-indulgent navel-gazing, and the whole franchise is in danger of going totally to shit. Uh, let's get back to what made it worthwhile in the first place, which, of course, was being British, but a little bit different. Um, so... Sure. Um, uh, it, the impeachment proceedings clearly have gripped the world's uh, attention. Uh, Jenna, what have, what have you made of it this week? Look, uh, Fiona Hill is awesome. It's cool to just... It was such a breath of it, fresh air to hear someone just, like, talking about things in a way that isn't so convoluted. Um, I'm also inspired by the Republicans' ability to just, like, twist reality to the point where we're all just questioning it constantly. Um, I think in terms of like oratory skills uh the republicans are so slippery it's actually cool to watch (laughs) and trump might get impeached but it might not even matter people are saying that they think he'll be impeached by like christmas um oh what that would be a lovely christmas present for the whole world (laughs) that's the the best version of it's a wonderful life you could imagine i know i know uh interesting that with fiona hill she was born in britain um, and you say she talk- I, I, when I when I googled her in preparation for this podcast, I was like, I bet Zoltz was going to raise the fact she was born. <laughs> well, she's born in Britain. You say she talks in a yeah. in a pleasingly unconvoluted way. That's clearly why she had to leave the country. <laughs> there was a story about how. Did you hear the story about how like she was eleven or something, and some kid lit her hair on fire, and she just like patted her hair down and kept like working or something? <laughs> did you hear that one? I didn't hear that one. Well, it's just it's so British. Yeah. It's like keep calm and carry on. I saw a CNN report saying that she Fiona Hill had um, obviously a very impressive testimony but it said that she had demolished the Republican talking points on the impeachment but that is a demolition in the same way that you can demolish an igloo with a hairdryer <laughs> like given the Republican talking points on impeachment are largely consist of number one he didn't do it number two but her emails number three come on and number four quick look over there a dog is driving a bus seriously everyone stop investigating and look at that bus driving dog <laughs> Um, uh, th- one thing that Fiona Hill said uh, this made me think of this: if you if you had been put in suspended animation, yeah. say, you know, even te- <laughs> even ten years ago, and you woke up to see Fiona Hill s- saying these words, I would ask that directing this to the American, the great and the good of American politics, I would ask you please not to promote politically driven falsehoods that so clearly advance Russian interests. <laughs> how how does that as that sentence? Come into being. <laughs> also, if you'd been put into a like, yeah. suspended animation twenty years ago, you'd be or going and twenty whole... weeks ago. Yeah, <laughs> but like, you'd be like two two years ago. You'd sort yeah. of be going, and the guy she's talking about, who is the president, is that bloke from Home Alone too? <laughs> yeah, are we living in a simulation? Maybe. Let's, Maybe we are. Let's f***ing hope so. Um, <laughs> Uh, Trump just... I'm really enjoying this nihilistic phase of your career, Andy. <laughs> I think that's just my career. <laughs> <laughs> just, just progresses 
seamlessly towards nothingness. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Gordon uh, Gordon the former U.S. ambassador to EU, had been a Trump uh, Trump ally. Stated that uh, the the whole Ukraine shebang was at the express direction of the president. And he said, we all follow the president's orders. And Donald Trump seemed to take this as a full exoneration, <laughs> which was quite extraordinary. extraordinary. I mean, they, they could, someone could publish 100 videos of Donald Trump slaying an endangered Arctic tiger cub with his bare hands and then violating its corpse. And he would say, this proves that I did nothing wrong. <laughs> I love cats. <laughs> and he followed that up with, I mean, even again... It's hard. To, I feel like we all overused our hyperbole too early in the, his presidency. But another <laughs> just in a string of extraordinary moments when, off the back of the Sunderland testimony, he was sort of interviewed again in this kind of pattern of him being interviewed uh, in a factory that just seemed to produce loud noise. So you can't fully hear what he says, and that definitely is starting to feel like a tactic by his advisers. But he uh, brandished a piece of paper that was a transcription he had made of a phone call with the Ukrainian president and a couple of eagle-eyed photographers actually managed to get a picture of his notes. Now, I know this is not the point, but his notes won Air Force One headed stationery. <laughs> and I really think if the American government is looking to cut back on its spending, they should maybe not start with things like healthcare and welfare and maybe focus on the headed stationery of the president's private plane. <laughs> The Democrats had another debate uh, a couple of nights ago um, in which, they, well, Kamala Harris said, we have a criminal living in the White House, <laughs> which does sound like a great tagline for a film. Um, uh, sadly, it is a tagline for a documentary. Um, uh, Jenna, you're a, you're a, a de- Democrat supporter, a Democrat yeah. member, I believe. How, um, what's, what's your take on how the... the uh, the process is going for selecting the the person to be abused by Trump throughout next year. Well, it wasn't just we just uh, should um, qualify. It wasn't just the Democratic debates because Tulsi was up there also. <laughs> um, but besides Tulsi, uh, who the only thing I, else I can say about her is that she wasn't on her period because <laughs> she was dressed in all white. Um, you guys just got so weirded out by that comment. I mean, we are British at a range of about 8,000 miles. And no, I'm- I just admire that she's always in white. So I, it's the only thing when a woman is, unless it's like Hillary, you know, unless it's like clearly postmenopausal, when a woman is just like all in white, it's the first thing I can think is she's not on her period. Uh, I don't know if that's taking us back a, you know, century or whatever. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um I I am worried for us. I think that we have too many people in the race right now, and it's hard for us to kind of coalesce around like one person. And uh, you know, I I'll vote for any of them. Again, Tulsi's not a Democrat, but any of the other ones I'll vote for. I just think we shouldn't even have debates. We should all just have them run together, like in like a Captain Planet cartoon or something. I'm really pleased with Tulsi running. America is also. Uh, being exposed because we in this country we've got pretty Patel and Sajid Javid and America is also being exposed to every Asian kid's least favourite aunt or uncle <laughs> like it's really good to know that the diaspora is representing our worst elements <laughs> it was um, yeah it, the the Biden gaffe 
was pretty spectacular stuff. Um, he claimed that he had the support of the only African American woman uh, elected to the United States Senate, uh, referring to Carol Mosley Braun. <laughs> that was yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, referring to Carol Mosley Braun uh, and ignoring uh, the fact that uh, there is another one and she was standing next to him. <laughs> and so Kamala Harris sort of laughing through it was, you know, it was a pretty extraordinary moment. And, you know, some people are saying, will this affect Joe Biden? But if I'm being completely honest, in the current climate, what Joe Biden did was be a bumbling old white man who said something racially insensitive. And as such, he has never seemed more presidential. Yeah, I think we should all really get behind Biden. It might be the... For real, it might be the only way that we'll end up with a female president in, like, uh, 2023. Um, <laughs> just because of how time works. Uh, but I'm not... I would totally support Biden or Bernie um, and then just, a, like, you know, Kamala, Warren, or Klobuchar as, like, their VP. People are really into Buttigieg right now. Yeah, it's like people have remembered that even though he's gay, he's still a white man. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's like th- this week everyone was like, oh no, hang on, he's still a white guy. <laughs> yeah. He wouldn't be the first gay president, just the first one who's out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a fact that I think he's even said. <laughs> we are really raining in the Bugle exclusives this week on American <laughs> politics. <laughs> JFK is alive and he's gay as hell. <laughs> I thought, yeah. I thought you were talking about Franklin Pierce. Um, <laughs> um, Lincoln? Uh, I mean, Lincoln. I mean, he was an absolute dreamboat, wasn't he, to be fair? What yeah. a beard. Um, Are we, have we reduced this episode to debating who's our <laughs> presidential gay crush? <laughs> well, I mean... Grover Cleveland was all man, wasn't he? Teddy Roosevelt with that moustache. Yes, please. Taft. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, Franklin Pierce was quite hot. <laughs> Chris is in the studio googling American presidents <laughs> to rate their relative hotness. I'm sure tafting is an arcane sexual practice. <laughs> it's not arcane, Andy. All right, okay. We uh, clearly are uh, going through the election process um, uh, ourselves, and uh, our politics initiative sort of descended into some kind of human centipede of hypocritical sadomasochistic <laughs> petard hoistings as um or just every party <laughs> Oof, points that is out, a hell of a sentence point, points out the lies and wrongdoings of the other parties only to have the, those exact same charges hurled back in their faces we had the uh, boris johnson jeremy corbyn debate um, which was an absolute festival of pointlessness. Uh, Britain <laughs> responded by being stroppy and underwhelmed, as uh, as always. And um, it was, I mean, for democracy fans, that debate for me was a bit like, I mean, you're a Bob Dylan fan, aren't you? Uh, enormous, uh, almost to a fault. Um, it was like seeing Dylan singing advertising jingles for a pickup artist website. <laughs> Just so far away from what it could be. I mean, as an American watching, it's just, it's cool that, to see men not being taken seriously <laughs> by people. <laughs> a breath of fresh air. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, there was open lo- there was op- they were getting yes, laughs. Proper derision. Yeah, uh, it was pro- it was proper sort of open derision. Yeah. I mean, I've had worse hour long shows. <laughs> I've got fewer laughs standing on stage for an hour than those two managed. Yes, I've had similar laughs, certainly. <laughs> 
<laughs> Scorn and disapproval <laughs> and confusion. Um, if it, listen, this is Britain. Yeah. We should have got them pissed and had them fight each other. That's the, let's get them to embrace our true national character. It's not high-minded debates over policy issues. It's getting shit-faced and sort of vaguely waving our fists in each other's directions. Like Gladstone and Disraeli all over again. That's exa- And they caught the imagination <laughs> of the public, Andy. Um, w- one of the the, uh, the most notable things to emerge from this debate was the uh, Conservative Party uh, transforming the, <laughs> the, the Twitter page of their campaign headquarters, C- CCHQ, Twitter page, branding it as Fact Check UK. Yeah. Um, and, you know, changing the design of it, the colour of it, it kept at CCHQ in tiny little letters, uh, and 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 passing themselves off as a fact-checking service, <laughs> yeah. but then just slammed everything Corbyn said and declared Boris Johnson the winner yeah. of uh, of the debate. And um, even more remarkable than this naked piece of deceit and mendaciousness was the way they responded afterwards. Dominic Raab. Uh, a one-man warning sign for future generations about the dangers of neglecting your political system. Um, <laughs> I did never, ever elect a man whose surname includes... Ah, ah. Um, <laughs> he announced no one gives a toss about social media. So he didn't he didn't deny that they'd done this or that it was wrong. He just said no one cares. Yeah. Um, it's... Uh, it was. I mean, amidst, amidst all the depressing moments in our recent democratic past, this this was a... This felt, I mean, because it was kind of irrelevant, but at the yeah. same time, it seemed it symbolised just how awful no, the I process mean, has become. I'm going to say of this incident what my geography teacher said on my school report after I got 12% in a year eight exam. This is not the low point, but one in a series of low points. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah, it was it was a really unedifying. Dominic Raab uh, uh, is. Uh, the foreign secretary of this country, and also a man who once confused me for a different Asian man and afterwards refused to apologise. <laughs> so, you know, my expectations of Dominic Raab, he sort of looked at me like I... He just looked mildly confused like I was Eddie Murphy in Norbit and I was just playing two separate characters <laughs> with some CGI and makeup. Right. Um, but you still got your immigration papers, haven't you? Well, this is the thing. I was at one point concerned, because I've... I've said some pretty appalling things about him on television <laughs> and when he became foreign secretary I was concerned that he might deport me and then I remembered that he still doesn't know which one I am <laughs> <laughs> so you know bad luck Ramesh Ranganathan you getting deported uh, Rob said that the reason they did this uh, was because they wanted an instant rebuttal mechanism uh, which I'm pretty sure was a machine that a good few Tory MPs in the 1980s had in their sex dungeons <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> Uh, he said one's an instant rebuttal mechanism to the nonsense directed of the Conservative Party. <laughs> that bastion of 1,000% truthicality that it is. Now, the, the thing is, they had that instant rebuttal mechanism, which was the Twitter page itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but clearly they didn't feel confident enough to attempt to put anything claiming to be a fact on it because everyone would just assume it was bullshit. <laughs> on the plus side, self-knowledge you know, it's one of the eternal <laughs> pursuits of life. The ancient Greeks were onto that. And the Conservatives clearly know that if they state something as themselves, everyone will just assume they are bullshitting. So in order to <laughs> tell the truth, or they consider to be the truth, they have to construct a lie, because if they try to tell the truth honestly, they will be lying. <laughs> uh, the Cabinet Minister, Nicky Morgan, has said that only people in the Westminster bubble 
uh, care about uh, the rail, which is just uh, another in a long series of uh, conservative politicians essentially treating people who don't live in the middle of London as being pig <laughs> essentially. <laughs> They're not thinking about the truth. They're too busy eating their own shit. <laughs> They're too busy being real British people and having sex with blood relatives. <laughs> The Labour Party have announced their manifesto and it's led to a string of arguments uh, yesterday and today about whether earning £80,000 is a lot of money or not. Uh, Because uh, one of the Labour proposals would see a 45% tax uh, levied on people who earn an income of £80,000 or above uh, per year, a figure which uh, various estimates put as being putting you basically in the top five percent uh, of earners in the country. And there's been a lot of debate over whether eighty thousand uh, pounds uh, is a lot of money, and uh, I can officially reveal the answer that it is. <laughs> I mean, it depends on context. Obviously, for Jeff Bezos, uh, eighty thousand pounds is something that he makes at the start of the process of him laying a deuce. But <laughs> in the grand scheme of things, eighty thousand pounds is quite a lot of money. And I read some extraordinary writing about this. Someone was, uh, uh, someone wrote today, if you're earning £80,000, not only do you get taxed on that, but you may get taxed on your second home. Now, (laughs) what I would say to that is, I would quote the economist J.K. Galbraith, uh, who famously said, if you've got a f***ing second home, sell the (laughs) or stop whinging, you twat. (laughs) Galbraith was a foul-mouthed economist. He was, he was. Uh, A good editor, though, to be fair. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, I did some maths I love maths I love stats and uh, just to put in, in context what we're talking about now the, the Labour manifesto has been costed at around about somewhere between 80 billion and uh, 120 billion depending on who you, who you read now the Times Rich List uh, they, they list the richest people in Britain I don't know exactly quite how they calculate it but the, the richest 50 are collectively according to this list this year worth 361.5 billion <laughs> Pounds. They average over £7 billion each. So if you are a nurse listening to this, wondering how you could be worth £7 billion in your line of work, well, it would take you just over a quarter of a million years. <laughs> Although that, yeah. that is assuming your salary didn't go up in that time. Uh, but probably it would go up, so it would only maybe take I don't know, 170 million. Blink of an eye. In the time that Jeff Bezos takes to jerk off, which <laughs> let's, let's just say is about three minutes, he could actually doing nothing end global hunger. <laughs> <laughs> he could end world. He could feed every child in the world in the three minutes it takes for him to rub one out. <laughs> There's surely surely no way, Jenna, that Bezos is doing that himself anymore. He's got some sort of wanking drone. (laughs) It does something that he does order this, you know, this device from, you know, yeah, the wanking robot. From presumably he orders that from his own website, and that gives him an extra. I must give him an extra little. I reckon he could do it. And he jerks off (laughs) in the time it takes someone making no money working next to a machine making more than that person. (laughs) The thought of that is what. Gets him going. Even if you just take the top 500. <laughs> By the time the jerk off machine gets to his. Sorry. I mean. I didn't mean, I mean to with, I think. I mean, it's got, we, we do need to think through the logistics of, of jerk off machines when it comes to the super rich. Otherwise, it's very hard to get into their mindset. I understand how they, how they tick. Well, I mean, I'd love to ask Jeff onto the show. To, <laughs> you know, maybe talk through these. Put in a word for us, Jenna. Um. Yes, Chris. I've got the uh, Bezos uh, wank maths. 
Let's hear it. Right. So, go, the go, moment we've all been waiting for. Go, go, going on Jenna's theory, which is what it'll be called from now on, that it will take you three minutes. Ah, uh, right. the Friedman principle. Um, it's been calculated here as $149,353 per minute. So every Bezos wank is the equivalent of $448,059. Right. But if he's got I feel a... like that's lowballing it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what he calls it. I know. <laughs> Uh, some more context on uh, super wealth. Uh, some more stats. Mukesh Ambani, the Indian multi-billionaire, estimated worth sixty billion US dollars. His house in Mumbai, called Antilla, is hundred and seventy meters high. I-, I calculated an estimated volume of of his house in terms of size, <laughs> and worked out if he if he wanted to fill it with portions of tiramisu from the local cafe where I live in South London. <laughs> which costs £4.50 each, he would need just over 530 million tiramisus. This would cost him £2.4 billion, uh, which is about the same as his entire house cost in the first place. Just goes to show, don't build stuff with Italian desserts. Now, assuming the building then became uninhabitable, as it was now full of rapidly festering tiramisus, Ambani could afford to build another six Antillas, fill them all full of tiramisus... (laughs) And leave them to rot, and still have enough money left over to buy a personal army of 16,000 British nurses to look after him for the next 50 years. In other words, he's minted. What, I mean, what, have, I never, what have I done? Never, never give a multi-billionaire crazy ideas about what he might like to spend his money on. And, I mean, the environmental damage of the ingredients of those tiramisus. That's 20-odd million litres of mascarpone cheese. <laughs> That's, we know how dairy, dairy impacts the environment. A quarter of a billion eggs. But he'd need every single egg laid in India on the day that they made these... Jesus Christ! These desserts. Just how for, have you calculated how many eggs are laid a day in India, Andy? <laughs> well, yeah, guesstimate. <laughs> have you run out of cricket statistics? Is that what's happened here? Royal family news now. And... <laughs> Um, well, uh, it's hard to know where to begin with this story. Uh, Nish, you're our uh, royal family correspondent. Hugely. Uh, close personal friend of uh, all members of the royal family. All of them. I believe. Uh, you, uh, some of them. Right. <laughs> I'd like to be quite specific. <laughs> Which ones, in this case? Just the, just the one who killed Diana. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I, uh... Well, listen, it's been an extraordinary week uh, in Royal News. Prince Andrew gave an interview to the BBC, uh, to Emily Maitlis, who's a uh, journalist and news presenter here. And, um, I mean, listen, (laughs) it it was extraordinary. He coined some absolutely fascinating new phrases. um, Such as? Well, such as, for example, uh, to let the side down. Yes. Uh, he coined that as a phrase. Right. Uh, Andy, I played uh, football with you on Tuesday. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say I let the side down. Yeah, uh, now no normally, more so than usual. Yeah, really? well, normally that Well, normally that by which I mean, you know, yeah. I let in a few goals or I played quite poorly. But in this occasion, I let the side down by, at half-time, flying to New York to stay with a convicted sex offender. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that wasn't... To tell him I didn't want to see him anymore. To tell him that I didn't want to see him anymore. 
Well, but this is this. That, I mean, that 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 phrase did jump out. Let the team because that kind of sporting phrase. Yeah, it must be particularly galling. You know, after they must have had a specific royal family team talk. You know, right, <laughs> Charles, keep it tight, keep it simple. Don't bang on too much about modern architecture. Just be a bit avuncular and hope everyone forgets all the weird shit from years ago. <laughs> and turn up to rugby matches on time. You're doing great, uh, Edward. Ed- Edward, sorry, are you here? All right. <laughs> Uh, Andrew, uh, don't lark around in parks with convicted paedophiles. Hands in. One, two, three. Go, Team Windsor. Simple simple thing. His PR quit over the decision to give the interview, presumably knowing that what was about to happen was, I mean, an absolute pedo snafu. (laughs) Yeah, why did they actually let him do that? Who let, why? Uh, There is no adequate explanation for that. And yeah. it was filmed in Buckingham Palace, wasn't it? it was, yeah, uh, home turf. It yeah. was a home fixture for the lad. They could have just been like, you know, what you shot was cool, but we're not gonna let you take it out of the palace. <laughs> like they could have just done. They could have done some defense after the interview. They they probably were there watching uh, it well, happen. Well, Jenna, he thinks it went so well that he's apparently contemplating doing a sequel. <laughs> <laughs> he's getting a, a series. <laughs> Uh, the the bit about you know, claiming that he wasn't that close, wasn't a close friend to e- Epstein, albeit that he had been to stay at his house, his private island, and flown on his private plane, and been invited to his guess who's out of jail reveal party <laughs> as guest of honor. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then told this not very good friend that he was going to be f- uh, he was going to friend dump him by flying across an ocean and staying with him for several days. <laughs> it all stacks up in the same way that a house of cheap playing cards stacks up on a rickety old garden table with wonky legs dur- during a simultaneous earthquake and hurricane. This story has ho- you could strain pasta in this story. <laughs> Do you think he was turned on? Like, there was... I didn't tweet this because I didn't think it was okay to say that on Twitter, but on your podcast, I'm going to go for it. <laughs> Do you think it was... Like, the way he was sitting, it was like he was covering up an erection. <laughs> he just had the weirdest... I actually have a quote of his when she asked him if he had sex with a trafficked minor, and he... I mean, there's so much more to it, but he goes, without putting too fine a point on it, if you're a man, it is a positive act to have sex with somebody. You have to take some sort of positive action. So therefore, if you try to forget, it's very difficult. That's his defense. (laughs) I mean, that's, you can't make that up. You can't write that if you try. No, I mean, you're absolutely right. Some of the things that he said, he said that his visit to Epstein was the result of his tendency to be too honourable. And that is, I mean, that is some heavy spin. I am too much of a great guy to not hang out with pedos. That is... The whole, yeah, the whole interview just felt like it was a pep talk to himself in the mirror after he's had too much to drink. (laughs) It's on camera and we're listening and watching. I I think I'd have had more respect for Prince Andrew if he'd just come out and said two points. One, my family was chosen by God, so suck it up, pleb. (laughs) And two, <laughs> British identity is built on royal traditions. Edward I married a 13-year-old in 1254, and I don't see anyone saying he should quit. And Henry VIII married a 16-year-old and then chopped her head off, and he's a f***ing hero. You can't fight <laughs> genetics. Also, my mum had a date Yeah, when you put it in context, you're <laughs> absolutely right. <laughs> uh, quick bit of sports news. Uh, Chris, you are a... a a Spurs fan this week. Oh, Spurs God. dispensed with their uh, manager, Mauricio Pochettino, 
after five years. It's not funniness. Five years broadly of success. Chris, I have to take issue with you there. It's absolutely f***ing hilarious. (laughs) And hired uh, Jose Mourinho's uh, basically a one-man campaign against the concept of joy. Um, (laughs) Five years of kind of Spurs-level success. Tailed off a bit this year because it's sport and that happens. Replaced with a manager who's tailed off a lot because he's a deranged egotist with <laughs> neo-neanderthal tactics. That's that an accurate summary of... I can't, Andy, I can't even talk about it. Right. I, can't, I don't even want to talk about it now. Jose right. Mourinho is it's, the uh, manager... so depressing. ...is the former manager of uh, my team, Manchester United, and I feel very much looking at Chris the way someone who has recently beat herpes <laughs> <laughs> looks at... I've a got new, a new customer. You don't beat herpes, <laughs> it's a virus you have forever. Oh, is it? Is herpes a permo? <laughs> I mean, one... I don't. <laughs> I got the... <laughs> What's one you can get rid of I crabs? Mean... <laughs> I think Joe... You can get rid of chlamydia. Oh, yeah, that's... Well, chlamydia. Chris, right. edit that into the joke. Yes. I think... Uh, I mean, he, there's talk about him going... Chlamydia going on a free transfer to... Yeah. In the Russian <laughs> League, I think. The young Brazilian. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Chlamydia was what Trump was going to call Ivanka originally. It's <laughs> mm. <laughs> he, yeah. I'm not going to go can, there. It's too I, Chinatown. Even that syllable, Jenna, gestured exactly towards what that joke was going to be. <laughs> well, you just can't make fun of it, you know, so. <laughs> that brings us to the end of this week's uh, Bugle. Uh, Nish, thank you, as always. Any shows coming up? Uh, no, I've got uh, I've got nothing on. All right, I'm just. Well, uh, I think that's that's new. Yeah. You didn't need to tell our listeners. Right? <laughs> Boom! Oh, uh, yeah, I'm doing, going on. I'm doing I... some gigs in London and Brighton and Cambridge that are quite good bills. I can't remember fully who right. is on them. <laughs> okay, but they're all pretty good bills. I think right. there's one on December the fourth in the Bloomsbury Theatre that I think is me and Bridget Christie. Yeah. And then there's another one in Cambridge with Rob Delaney. And then there's another one in Brighton with some other great people. Listen, it's just, you know what? You're smart people. Pop your computers open. (laughs) Whack my name into Google. Ignore the weird suggestions that are like (laughs) Tor and Wife. (laughs) And uh, just, uh, you know, go nuts on it. Uh, Janet, thanks very much for joining us on the bugle it's been a delight to, to to have you on keep away from the, the fires yeah thanks so much for having me it's been so fun and if you see the queen tell her thanks for murdering Jeffrey Epstein <laughs> <laughs> oh she's going to have to get another one of those teardrop brooches that she wore when Trump was going to this Chris's Chris has had a bad week with his football team and he's about to have a worse week with lawyering this episode. <laughs> the redacted episode. <laughs> uh, uh, Jenna, have you got any, any stand-up shows coming up? I do. I'm at the Soho Theatre in London, I think March 17th to 28th. It's a great show. I'm, I will endorse Jenna's show. Right. Uh, well, in fact... You, oh, yeah, Nish, thanks. Great. You can uh, come to my end-of-year show at the Soho Theatre which runs December 16th to January the 4th, and then just hang around for <laughs> two and a half months until January arrives. I will also endorse Andy's uh, show, even though, by his own admission, he has yet to finish writing it. Uh, thank you for listening, Buglers. We will be back. Oh, we'll be, I might have a week off next week. Uh, we'll be back in a couple of strokes of Jeff Bezos' dick. <laughs>
<laughs> we'll be back either, Thanks, ne- guys. either next week or the week after. Thank you for listening. And we will now play you out in the time-honoured tradition with a barrage of bullshit about our premium voluntary subscribers. Some of the lies today involve more than one Bugle voluntary subscriber because, well, they got a little bit over-elaborate and required more than one character for narrative reasons. Also, this week's lies are a sayings and proverbs special. Kieran Lee wrongly interpreted the phrase to look a million dollars as an insult, assuming that it meant that you should not be allowed out in public but should be locked away somewhere safe in case anyone asks exactly where you came from and why you're being flaunted around at a party. Cheney and Ian Adams would like to see some of the world's most famous proverbs updated, starting with, give a man a fish, you will feed him for a day, teach a man a fish, and he will probably over-enthusiastically go out and buy a fishing rod, then go fishing a couple of times before realising he doesn't really have time to take up fishing as a serious hobby because of all the other stuff he's got going on, and then just give up fishing and try to sell his rod on eBay. Elwyn Ainsworth wonders if anyone's last words whilst being attacked by a crocodile and shouting to their colleagues on the riverbank have been, don't worry about the crocodile, he doesn't mean it, he's only pulling my leg. Elwyn certainly hopes so, at least that person would have died in a very good mood. Ergo Ojisu recently heard an animated dispute on the radio concerning the location of the annual formal evening dance for members of the British legal profession. It was scheduled to be held in the Old Bailey in London. When one of Britain's top judges who presided in the Bailey complained about this, he was told by the Justice Secretary, well, that's your problem now, the ball's in your court. Bart Mosley once got a holiday job marketing fast food at NBA games in Miami, for which he had to dress in a really garish, over-the-top chicken outfit. Fellow Bugle voluntary subscriber Andrea Scholler happened to be going to the game at the American Airlines Arena. How's the job going, Bart? asked Andrea, recognising him through the innate power of Bugle voluntary subscriber intuition, despite never having met him before. Well, I'm not enjoying it, Andrea, to be honest, said Bart, waggling his shiny wings and half-heartedly clucking through his golden beak. I just really hate the team. They're one of my least favourite basketball franchises anywhere. Andrea replied, well, you should quit then. If you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. hen. <clears throat> Carrying on, Aaron Golson heard about a fancy new restaurant that had recently opened near where he lived, which was supposed to have an excellent chef. He said to another Bugle voluntary subscriber, Michael Bertwistle, Hey, we should go. The chef is supposed to be amazing. We can talk about the Bugle and eat food. But Michael was not so sure. Well, I almost had lunch there the other day, he said, but was put off going in because the chef's sibling, who is the front of house maitre d' there, had a really angry, unwelcoming face and intimidating neck tattoos and wore an aggressively slogans T-shirt. So I didn't go. Come on, Michael, said Aaron. We should try it. You can't judge a cook by looking at his brother. Greg Massey and Eric Tullis went to that self-same restaurant and were so impressed by the food that they asked to meet the chef. He was an overconfident young man who used to be a professional strongman. Challenge me to do anything strength-related, said the strongman chef. OK, said Eric, a little confused. Lift up that device you use for weighing out your ingredients. And to make it more difficult, added Greg, use only the muscles in your lower forehead and cheeks as a kind of facial clamp and then hold the device there for two minutes. Okay, said the chef. Easy. Well, he did manage to get the device off the table it was on, but he couldn't keep it up. Crash! 
Greg and Eric walked away unimpressed but sympathetic. He looked so sad at the realisation that he couldn't do it, and he wasn't all he cracked himself up to be, said Eric. Yes, said Greg. You could see the scales fall from his eyes. And finally, uh, mercifully, uh, Veronica Jong went to that restaurant also with Bugle voluntary subscribers Peter and Matt Findlay. They all ordered the mushroom risotto with extra truffles. Mmm, I'm really enjoying this delicious dish, said Veronica. Us too, said Peter and Matt. Then a waiter came to their table with a hairdryer, switched it on and started tossing dried herbs into the jet of warm air and spraying them all over the place. Hmm, said Veronica. I, I admire experimentalism in modern cuisine. It certainly is an interesting interactive dining experience, said Peter a little uncertainly, and it adds to the aroma of the mushrooms. But it is a bit irritating, said Matt, brushing the herbs off his jacket a little angrily. Can you stop now, waiter, he asked politely. Sorry, said the waiter. It's just that here, time flies when you're having fun, The end. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.